0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Unseen Collective podcast. We're actually coming to you with a special edition and a special episode. Uh, Many of you would have seen what's going on with the war in Israel, and we felt it was important that we engage this conversation and really brought a broader context um, to what many of us have been hearing in the media and what some of us would have heard in the different places that. Uh, we live or the different leadership contexts that we're in. And so I'm excited. I'm here with uh, Donnell, or many of you would know him as Jag, and both of us are really honored to have Bishop Robert Stearns with us today. Um, He is a leading voice and has been for many years on Israel and the Jewish people. He has been leading the uh, day of prayer for the peace of Jerusalem, was the visionary behind that, partnered with Pastor Jack Hayford when he was alive for that. I know I've been a part of that for many, many years. He's also the presiding bishop of the Historic Tabernacle Church in Buffalo, New York, and he is the founder and leader of Eagle's Wings Ministry, which has so many different amazing ministries within it uh, to engage people in Israel and to learn more about it, including um, a program that I've been a part of, which is called The Watchman on the Wall. So welcome, Bishop Stearns. We're so glad that you're with us today and that you're safe. Uh, would you just give us a little bit of context of where you've been the last few days and uh, what you know is happening right now on the ground in Israel?
1: Absolutely. Well, it's a, it's an honor to be with both of you. Um, Ty, I've known you for many years and have appreciated um, just the way that you steward the call of God on your life and the integrity and authenticity of your ministry. So it's always a pleasure and honor to be with you, Ty. And, uh, Jag, it's great to make a new friend from, uh, from New Jersey. <laughs> That's my stomping grounds. I'm there often, uh, North nice. Jersey. I lived in Bergen County for many years. I lived in Oradell for many years and, wow. uh, our great friend there in, uh, in Cranford, uh, pastor Clem Salerno. So good to be with both of you today. Uh, yeah, I've just returned from Jerusalem, um. Our ministry has been bringing pilgrims to Israel since 1994. We've brought about 30,000 people on pilgrimage to Israel since 1994. We have multiple trips that happen all year long. Um, but our single largest trip every year is always the trip that happens around the Day of Prayer for the Peace of Jerusalem, that, which Pastor Jack and I launched together in 2004. and. Uh, that trip around that event is always the largest trip that we host every year. I had the privilege of having Pastor Jack's grandson, Pastor Brian Bauer, on our group this year and his great granddaughter, Brian's daughter, Hannah. So it was a special honor to have those multi-generational representations of Pastor Jack's legacy with us on the trip. We had 300 um, believers from 22 nations on our tour it was the largest tour we've ever done uh, 45 of those were pastors uh, many of them pastors from throughout Europe and then also Brazil and um, it was it was a phenomenal trip it was you know every trip to Israel if you've never been uh, I say you know, every Christian at least once in your life must purpose in your heart that you're going to worship the Lord in his land. It is transformational. It is life-changing. There is nothing like it. And I tell people, you know, don't you dare go to Disney, uh, before you go to Israel, you know, that you've got to get your priorities straight and you've got to get there.
0: Absolutely. And so it
1: was an amazing trip. It was incredible. Like they all are. And on Friday night around midnight, the last of our pilgrims took off and headed home. Uh, we got them all off to the airport. And my sons and I went back to Jerusalem. Uh, I was staying to film some television there over the next few days. I had some programming and some teaching to film. And all of a sudden, Saturday morning, we were awakened to the sound of the sirens of the Iron Dome, the alarm system, the Iron Dome that many are familiar familiar with, a super high-tech Um warning and uh interception mechanism that israel has in place why because since 2005 israel has endured not hundreds not thousands tens of thousands of rockets from gaza have been fired into israel since israel's absolute withdrawal from gaza in 2005 i don't want to get ahead of ourselves but i just want to make the point right here it's ludicrous It is irrational to see all of these Free Gaza and the Occupation in Gaza signs. Israel left Gaza in 2005. There has not been an Israeli soldier, not an Israeli army base, not an Israeli village. There has been zero Israeli presence in Gaza since 2005, and yet Israel has had to endure constant rocket attacks for the past almost 20 years. More about that later. So when the sirens started going off, started going off early Saturday morning, uh, my sons and my assumption was just, oh, this is another rocket attack. And sadly, um, that's kind of the norm in Israel. And, you know, everybody knows where your bomb shelter is, and everybody knows what's to, what to do when the rocket attack happens. Um so However, within a couple of hours, we started getting texts, we started getting alerts, and it became very clear this was not uh, another rocket attack. This was a full-scale invasion, the size and scope of which Israel has not seen since 50 years ago to the day uh, the Yom Kippur War. Um, so similar to the Yom Kippur War, this happened on a high holy day. This was the holiday of uh, Shemini Atzeret. It's right at the end of tabernacles near the festival of Simchat Torah, the rejoicing in the law. It's actually called that holiday is called the day of our greatest joy. That's the, that's what the tagline of that holiday is. And so on that holiday, on that Shabbat, when most Israelis have their phones off because they're honoring the Sabbath, so they don't use electricity. They turn off their phones. Communication is down and that day of vulnerability. Uh, the enemy attacked with a full-scale invasion and close to 1,300 Israelis were butchered uh, within the land of Israel proper. Uh, children, toddlers, babies, grandmothers, um, uh, just, you know, burned alive, um, butchered to death, um, taken hostage. The latest figures I've seen are just under 200 hostages held within Gaza right now. Um, so this was not a military-to-military operation. Um, this was not a, you know, an, an attack of a military onto a military base. This was a savage, brutal uh, attack on innocent civilians, which is a war crime, according to international law. And uh, we were there for the first uh, four and a half, five days of it. Um uh, we could not get out uh until uh, some very well-connected friends of ours were able to quickly and quietly um, get us out through we drove through the desert in the middle of the night through to Amman Jordan, and then were able to catch a plane the next morning to uh to Qatar to Doha, and then from Doha back to New York. um so yeah, it's it's shocking. it is. Um, you struggle to find words that are um, alarming enough for us to understand that um, this certainly is Israel's 9-11. This may be another 9-11 for the world, because there is a very real possibility of this turning into a regional conflict, which I think could easily turn into a world conflict. Um, So, we're, we're living in extraordinary days. Uh, Jesus says, when you see these things, look up, your redemption draws nigh. So certainly we keep one eye trained on the heavens. We keep one eye trained on God's heavenly kingdom. And yet we are called to engage in a very real way in the world that is in front of us. And so we've been working day and night. Um, Eagle's Wings has massive humanitarian efforts. We're in the middle of a $250,000 emergency campaign. Um, four. We have four outreaches active on the ground right now. Yesterday, we fed 7,000 soldiers on the front lines. Um, So we're actively mobilizing and and doing all we can uh, to provide emergency help.
0: Uh, Thank you so much for all of that context. And, you know, the mind can't even kind of comprehend some of the images, you know, that we've seen over recent days. Um, You know, I know since Holocaust, you know, one of the phrases was, you know, never again, never again, never again. And yet, in many ways, we are here. And what's been fascinating to me is to watch the way that Western media took about a day or two to talk about the atrocities that happened on that day, and now are very quickly turning towards moral equivalency. And, um, painting different pictures about what's happening in Gaza and uh, basically turning the narrative yet again um, against Israel. Um, Can you, especially from the vantage point of those of us who are believers, you know, we would, Jesus is our Messiah. Can you help explain why what we're seeing on the media um, that we need to be cautious of and we need to make sure that we accurately interpret what we're seeing in regards to how God sees this.
1: Yes, I can. Um, I, would, I would probably even want to frame that, though, slightly differently, because I would say one doesn't necessarily have to believe uh, this book to have a clear moral compass about what's happening. Sure,
0: yeah, sure. Uh,
1: you, you just have to know the facts. So I'm, I'm hesitant. First of all, I love talking about it from a Bible perspective because there are so many scriptures. There are so many prophecies. There is so much biblical context to this. We could spend all day there, and I love that, and I, I will delve into that. But what I hesitate is to say that that's the only way Sure. You end up with a supportive stance for Israel. I have said often publicly from the pulpit. If I were not a believer, if I did not believe the Bible, if I did not believe this book, but I just simply had the education and the facts on the ground that 30 years of interacting with Israel have given me, my position would be the same. Uh, You just have to have a moral compass. You just have to be concerned about human life to understand what's happening. So you know, to get into it briefly, um, the fact of the matter is that Hamas is a terrorist organization uh, that, whose charter, the charter of Hamas, calls for the destruction of the state of Israel and the extermination of the Jewish people. They are Nazis. They are Hitler today. There's no question about it. They've been given multiple opportunities to amend their charter uh, to, to come to the table with a different narrative by all kinds of, you know, the United Nations and other bodies, and Hamas is charter. They're, they're not hiding it. We're calling for the destruction of the state of Israel and the extermination of the Jewish people. So when Israel withdrew in 2005, the Palestinian leadership was at that time known as Fatah. Now Fatah is still in charge in, theoretically, in the West Bank. But the issue is that, uh, and and I I just can't whitewash this. You know, I can't make it sound sweet and pretty because it's not. the The issue right. is that Fatah has become very adept at taking billions of dollars in aid from America and from the European Union and other nations, and lining their pockets. I mean, the corruption that is rampant within. Uh, Fatah is just massive. So what happened was, in Gaza, uh, people no longer trusted Fatah, and so Hamas really rose to power, okay? Now you're going back 20 years. So what does that mean? That means you have 20 years of children being brainwashed, children being brainwashed and trained to be jihadists, trained to be suicide bombers, trained to believe thoroughly that If I if I die in jihad, I'm instantly transported to a land of seventy two virgins, and I'm brought into paradise. It's I'm I made a shahid, and they're going to name a soccer stadium after me. I'm going to be a hero to my friends. It is we're trying to understand this Middle Eastern conflict through a Western rationalist mentality, and so we're 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 not getting it, folks. we're not, we're not in the same time zone here.
0: Right. And And so you have one of the things too, if I, if I made that, I think also, and tell me what you think about this, um, that as, as I've been watching this play out, but also previously is it seems like in, especially in America, we're in this time where there's always an oppressor and there's always the oppressed. And it seems to me that as I've, watch the media watch different people's reactions to this is that lens is placed on this and for whatever reason many times Israel is being coined as the oppressor and those in Gaza are being coined as the oppressed and so people are approaching this with that lens and that seems to me where things start to go off track and those facts that you're saying are not being widely shared or if they are it's through the, the wrong lens
1: well you're raising an incredible point and as as you both you know know uh this generation is interpreting reality through the lens of social justice social justice context is is you know completely the the lens that we're, we're going through and and listen there may be very good reason for that. There may be very, you know, thank the Lord where we need to change. We need to grow. Society needs to evolve into new places of justice, et cetera. However, uh, any truth taken to an extreme becomes an error. And so we, we have this situation where now you have this coalition of victimhood, which really is bizarre, right? You've got Islamo-fascists uh being supported by the gay community who if they lived in the land of islamo-fascists would be would be killed or imprisoned because that's the penalty with under sharia law so you have this very odd strange juxtaposition of the extreme left coming into alignment with radical islam that just makes no sense but to your point of oppressor and oppressed that goes back to what I said earlier, that without the facts on the ground, um, this is a highly complicated situation, which is why I try to get people to Israel or at least to really study the issue. When you begin to understand, number one, that Israel was not, you know, Israel was not an aggressive people who came and colonized a space in the Middle East. Israel, there were 600,000 Jews coming out of the Holocaust, many of them, uh, going back to their ancient homeland. So if if we're talking about the rights of indigenous peoples, uh, this was the indigenous land of the Jews, but they did it through global uh, endorsement and affirmation. March, uh, no, I'm sorry, November 29th, 1947 the united nations ruled in favor of the creation of the state of israel and the creation of a palestinian state this was done in full broad daylight fully in front of the nations of the earth with an affirmation a vote affirming the creation of the state this is the exact opposite of violent colonization You know, this is due process, and there was two states created. Israel accepted this reality. Israel accepted a much smaller uh, land mass than they currently have, gladly accepted it, and what happened? The Arabs did not accept it. And fast forward six months, May 14th, 1948, David Ben-Gurion declares the state of Israel— and moments later, five well-trained, well-equipped Arab armies attack Israel and say, without compunction, we're going to finish what Hitler started. We're going to drive these Jews into the sea. Israel was happy to stay. With the, Israel was not looking to expand. Israel went through global due process, accepted the land that was given them, and accepted a Palestinian state right there next door. So anytime you hear this thing of a two-state solution, Israel has accepted a two-state solution since the beginning. But the Arabs attacked, and the Arabs have continued attacking ever since. Israel's history of 75 years has been war after war after war after war after war. And guess what? They keep winning the wars. And when they win the wars, there's more territory that they don't want to take back Gaza, but they're going to have to do something with Gaza because here's what's happened. And so this is the the reality that we find ourselves in, but a hyper emotional victimized people don't like facts.
2: Yeah. I mean, to that point just the misinformation being an issue, social media feeding as much as people are consuming it. Uh, what would you say the best way for someone to to continue from here on getting that accurate information? Like, how, how is there a place they can go? Is there um, something that they can use as a feed to be able to truly know what's going on? Because even footage that's being put out could be um, given the wrong information about what, what's going on. And so is there a way uh, someone listening can can go to the proper place to kind of get what is actually going on moment by moment or just context.
1: Absolutely. Well, let me give you a it, and Jag, it's the perfect uh question. It's a, it's an excellent question. Um let me give you a case in point from like 30 minutes ago I got a text and there's reports of uh Israel bombing a hospital in Gaza. Well, this is classic Hamas playbook, Hamas lives in tunnels underground, massive tunnel systems all through Gaza. This is well documented. These are seen regularly. Sets up base in hospitals and schools. So if there are bombs, rockets being launched from a hospital or from a school, what is Israel supposed to do? When you set up shop in the very place and begin attacking from a place that then the optics are going to be Israel is attacking civilians. This is the kind of rock and a hard place that Israel has to live between in a constant basis. And we say to ourselves, well, they would never do that because those innocent lives would be killed. Hamas doesn't care about innocent lives. Folks, we have forgotten in our modern world that there is such a thing as evil. There right. is such a thing as pure, unadulterated evil, and that just doesn't care about destruction. And that is the reality of Hamas. So to your question, Jag, um, first of all, we are not a news source, so I, I don't want to pretend to be a journalist. I'm not. Yeah. But we do. Uh, just the other day, there was some things that were being reported uh not in a, not in a lot, not unlike Fox or CNN, but reported out there in the internet. And somebody said, oh, you're Bishop, you should be sharing this, sharing this. I said, well, you know, I want to verify. And, and indeed that particular thing proved to be false. So my point is we do, if people want to go to my Instagram, Robert R. Stearns, or my Facebook, Robert Stearns, public figure, not the private one that's capped, but public figure. We do try to I go live at least once a day right now. or trying to give accurate updates and channels. We're going live with people from Israel. But I would also say um, that uh, I have found the Jerusalem Post to be a very credible, um, ongoing news source. I, I I don't want bias on the right or the left, right? I want facts. I, I want people who are going to bring me facts and look for facts on the ground. And I have found that the Jerusalem Post is is a credible um, balanced news source uh, in the in the midst of things over the years so that would be one that I'd recommend
0: on this point with the media um, because you know with our audience I think being uh, young leaders many of whom would have gone to public university or private university here in the US um, and would have not only heard it from the media but heard it from within their their places of academia. Why do you think it is that there seems to be a concerted effort to to villainize or minimize Israel and ultimately the Jewish people? Like what how would you explain that especially to people where this may be a new concept to them to even start to uncover like you've been being fed some things that are absolutely untrue?
1: So, it's a great question and really to restate your question, your question is why is there anti-Semitism? Like Correct. Right, you know, right? So anti-Semitism is the oldest racism. So we all, yep. please God, stand against racism in every single form, any way that it manifests. And anti-Semitism is the oldest racism within you know recorded history. Um, stems back all the way. You know, you got Esther and Haman, right? You've got. Uh, you've got Joseph, uh, you've got um, a Pharaoh and, and, and the Jews. I mean, so anti-Semitism is this recurrent theme in history. And there's, there's, there's all kinds of um, theories on this issue of anti-Semitism. So I will try to answer it in two ways. Um, first, I'll try to answer that spiritually, okay, from a spiritual or a theological perspective. And I would say that God has chosen to reveal himself in humanity through the agency of people. God partners, you know, God does not, generally speaking, appear in the sky and, you know, write, you know, his messages in the sky. I mean, God, generally speaking, speaks through people, through prophets, through stories, through encounters, et cetera. And the primary people God has entrusted his message to planet earth with is the Jewish people. Um, we understand this from the call of God on Abraham, you know, through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Isaiah echoes this. Isaiah says, Israel, you will be an or hagoyim You'll be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations. This, this theme comes all the way down to Jesus who Jesus then brings the knowledge of the God of the Bible to the nations of the earth. Acts chapter 2, go into all the world, make disciples. And so the, the knowledge of the God of Israel comes to the nations of the world through Jesus the Jew. And so if Satan can obliterate Those who carry the knowledge of God, the covenant of God, the testimony of God, if he can eradicate them from the earth, then he has eradicated the image of God, if you will, or the messengers of God from human history. Now, all the more so when those people are in the land of Israel, because what many people don't understand is that scripturally, God has a covenant with the Jewish people. And God has a covenant with the land of Israel. This is something that is very foreign to an American evangelical mindset. But there is dirt on planet Earth that is different than other kinds of dirt. There is dirt that God says, this dirt is holy dirt. This land is holy land. God says, I'm putting my name, I'm putting my testimony I'm putting my presence in this place forever. And so when you have the people of God and the land of God back into alignment, that is the single greatest apologetic that this Bible is true. There are hundreds of verses. I'm sorry, you got me. I'm going to be preaching. Come on, come on, preach, 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 preach. You got me <laughs> preaching here, brothers. Uh, there are hundreds of scriptures that talk well, about. true. The people coming back and the land being flourishing, desert blossoming as a rose. It's a, and it's happening. It's happening in front of our eyes. And so the enemy hates this. And so from that perspective, that is metaphysically, spiritually, what I believe is the driving force of anti-Semitism. It is a spiritual desire to disprove and dis- dethrone the god of the bible now remove all of that and let's just come at it from a sociological perspective from a sociological anthropological perspective um um we've already mentioned on this podcast that people you know you know generally speaking having a pity party for yourself feels good like, you know, there's a certain, like, all of us are like, you know, two bad decisions away from narcissism. All of us are two bad decisions away from, oh, poor me, you know, da, da da and we can just, we can become the center of our own universe. It, it, it takes something to kick yourself in the butt, pick yourself up and say, I, I, I've been dealt lemons. I am going to make the best darn lemonade ever. And the Jewish people, century after century, millennium after millennium, tragedy after tragedy, they pick themselves up and they become victorious. That's true. And there are reasons for this. In fact, a good friend of mine, Dan Singor, uh has just written a brilliant new book. It's called uh, The Genius of Israel. The Genius of Israel. I really recommend that all of you find this book and read it. It will unlock a lot of this for you, but it shows how the fact that the Jewish people have followed these customs. What are the customs? Shabbat. Praying together in minion. What in the world is that? A minion is not a little yellow creature with the glasses. That's the movie. (laughs) A minion is a Hebrew word for 10 men who gather together in prayer. Um, And what does that do? It forms community. So there is something in the genius of the Jewish people in forming community that then that community spreads nationally, globally, et cetera, and it allows them to excel in business, in media, and all of these things. So you've got this tightrope, you know, the the conspiracy theorists, the anti semites the Jews control finance, the Jews control media, the Jews control all of this. Well, no, obviously the Jews don't control any of that. However, the Jews have a disproportionate level of impact. Why? Because they move in unity. They move in unity, they move in covenant, they move in communication, and they don't move in victimhood. They move with a sense of hatikva of hope. And that's what my friend Dan Senor and this brilliant book, uh, The Genius of Israel, really lays out. And uh, so that would be the non-spiritual reason, the kind of anthropological sociological reason why I believe anti-Semitism exists, because it just tells people you're choosing to stay a victim. There's a better way to live and all of us can have a tendency to be jealous and frustrated with people who, you know, they're more successful than we are. We've got a choice. We either are going to say, hey, man, I want to learn from that. I want want to glean from that, or I'm going to attack that because I'm jealous.
0: Jag, you and I talked as we were preparing for the podcast, uh, you're saying that you're really interested in this topic uh, because you're wanting to learn more about it. Like, Maybe you can even jump in here and just share a bit as far as what are you gleaning in any um, you know questions for Bishop Stearns that kind of come from that point of view where you're really coming in to to absorb and to learn some of this for the first time.
2: Oh, yes, I definitely wanted to ask you, um first, appreciate you answering a question about how we can get information proper information because that's that's super important. But also, what are the ways on um, those in the West, for sure, uh we're, we're seeing these things happen and involvement? Like, what are the ways one can get involved? I, I mean, all the way from prayer to whatever comes to mind that we may not be seeing. I, I think that would serve us well to, to be able to disseminate that type of information, saying, hey, here's how you can get them involved. Here's You've already described how we can get proper information, but involvement as well. I, the sideline feeling is something I'm sure those don't want to feel like they're just sitting on the side. But what are your thoughts on that?
1: It's such a great question. It's, it's, it's such an appropriate question for the moment. Um, so I would say four things come to mind. Number one, I really don't want to underestimate the power of prayer. And even really simple prayer. I I years and years ago, I instituted a thing with my family. You know, almost every Christian uh prays over their meals, right? Like almost all of us. You know, you're at a restaurant or with your family for dinner, whatever it is, and you just pause and you bow your head and you, you pray over a meal. And we did a little thing with our family. We just added a little tagline when we prayed for our meals. We said this, Lord, thank you for this food, thank you for this day, bless this food, you know, cause this conversation, encourage us, da-da-da. And Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, right? Six or seven words. God, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We added that little tagline in. That little tagline, which, by the way, is incredibly biblical Psalm 122, 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. King David, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its cutting. So, Jag, I think like point number one is saying, like, Jerusalem is not a metaphor. Jerusalem is not an idea. Like it's a real place. It's a real city with ri- So when we're called in scripture to pray for it, we're not praying for like the Jerusalem in the heavenly realm. Like, no, it's like Jesus said, <laughs> it's a real place. It's not a concept. So I would really encourage people the power of simple prayer, simple prayer. Take, take a little flag of Israel magnet and stick it on your fridge. So your kids see it every day. So your grandkids see it every day. So your friends see it. Why is that there? Those little things surprisingly become important. Number two, I cannot underestimate the power of education. Guys, I have been 30 years in this, 30 years, and I learn something new every single day. This is such, because why? Why? Guys, this goes back to Isaac and Ishmael. (laughs) Like we are talking super long, super complicated, super layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And if we're going to be those who are diligent to not just buy a media narrative, but really search out the truth, which, I mean, Ty knows just because of his relationship with our ministry, we are actively involved with the Palestinian community. We have, we have given we've probably given over a half million dollars to Palestinian Christians who are struggling in places like Bethlehem and other. I can't represent the gospel if I don't have friends in all areas of this conflict, if I'm not deeply invested. So you've got to consistently give yourself to really being educated about the entire, you know, orb uh, of the situation. And towards that end, we have a really good curriculum that Ty went through. It's called Watchmen on the Wall. It's about that thick. It's not terribly big. It's 14 sections. But I call it really like Israel 101 for the church. I mean, just a real basic introduction. So that'd be number two be education. Number three would be activism. Um, and today that a lot of that looks like social media. I mean, just um we, we have a thing on our Facebook and on where do they, I don't know, my producers here where they get our little thing for their Facebook thing. Um, but it's it's the, the you know put up there. I stand with Israel. You know I'm. Get that out there. Get something on your social media because that is the public square of the day. And and right now, the Jewish people are feeling incredibly alone. They are feeling incredibly attacked. They are feeling incredibly vulnerable. Uh, and we're going to talk about this in a moment. But there are pro Hamas rallies happening all over. Public universities—it's unbelievable, it's unthinkable—but it's a reality. Um, Stand, you know, stand there as an ally, right? You know, the LGBTQ uh, community talks about allyship. Stand there as an ally of the Jewish people right now, and and yeah, you're not Jewish, but you can stand on the right side of history, and and do that. And then finally, I invite people to give, and um, our ministry again—we're in the middle of this uh, $250,000 raise eagleswings.org forward slash urgent response eagleswings.org forward slash urgent response we're giving to four separate front lines we're on the very front lines um i've done so many podcasts i did i already tell you we fed seven thousand soldiers yesterday i think i mentioned that yeah yeah we'll put this
0: information in the show notes too so they can have the links
1: great great so i would say those four things i would say pray i would say uh Get educated. I would say become an activist in the social media space right now and give. Uh, Jesus said where your heart is is where your treasure is. So give something to this and that'll activate something. Those are four really clear and immediate ways people can respond. Um
0: Pastor, I want to ask you a question that's probably like the million dollar question. So, of course, I know that no one really can answer, but I think it is on the forefront of many people's minds. I was just thumbing through uh, different people that I follow with their sermons this last Sunday uh, that people are in churches talking about, Okay, where is what we're watching fitting in to biblical prophecy and where are we at timeline wise? And so. As you are not only just an American pastor, but you are, God's assigned you to this ministry of really being a bridge between us and, uh, Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, what do you see and what, what is, what is your take on where we're fitting right now with, um, biblical prophecy?
1: Well, again, it is the million dollar question. Um, um we're in the end days (laughs) or in the last days brothers. Uh, you know, we're sure of that. Um, listen, uh, we are in dystopian times. We were, we were in it before this war. Uh, I look at what's happening with AI. I look at what's happening with the fact that At this point, it's algorithm fighting algorithm. You know, there's this massive polarization. Everybody's demonizing everybody else and everybody's deliberately polarizing culture. It's like, where is the sane center? Where is the principled center um, that would hold society together right now? And so we were in this before this. And so now to add this into the mix, um. I don't know precisely. It's above my pay grade, brothers. Um, (laughs) I I do believe that we are in uh, momentous times. Um, And I know people like to say, well, yeah, but we've been in momentous times before. But we've never been in momentous times before, number one, with this technology. the, The level of technological advancement to me is the game changer. And then number two, We've never been, we've only had Israel in the land 75 years and Jerusalem uh, not trodden under by the Gentiles since 67. So you really are in the times that the prophets saw. So I can say with absolute certainty, we are in momentous prophetic times. What precisely that means and unfolds, we're going to find out together.
0: Yeah, it seems, and Jack, you can comment to this, but it seems, if anything, as I've been watching and listening to others, there is right now, like we're in this window where there is high sensitivity to prophecy, to what's happening in Israel, and how does that relate to us and Jesus's return? And so I wonder if we have an opportunity here you know, for a calling back, for repentance in general, for uh, not only contending for what's happening in Israel, but, you know, the church as a whole needs to get some things right.
2: Yeah, I was, uh, to your point, uh, I was, as uh, you were talking, Rob, I was just thinking, how does uh, church, how does ministry, how does any of those aspects of reaching people, how one would connect this to this current situation we're in to be able to minister the gospel and and make some urgent awareness of what's going on. So as you were saying that, Ty, that's immediately I was thinking about how can um, church ministries continue to connect what is going on right now in their, in their um, bringing of the gospel to whatever medium that they're using. Yeah, I agree.
0: And I, and I wonder too, How are you encouraging pastors and leaders? Because some of the people that listen to this podcast are local church leaders. Um, So, Bishop, how are you encouraging pastors and leaders? You told how we can respond as far as with prayer, with activism, with giving, um, and with education. Uh, Is that same for pastors, or is there another layer to that in leading your congregation through this time uh, that you might be able to encourage people in?
1: Well, it's such a crucial thing. Um, There are moments that become dividing places in the sand. There are moments where, you know, choose you this day. and, And I feel like we're in one of those moments. I also feel, and this is beyond the scope of what we have time left for, but I'll just tease it out maybe for another time but there's a big part of me that also feels and doesn't feel I know God is in this shaking like this isn't catching God by surprise and I don't I, I am I appreciate American Western Christianity I guess it's what I grew up in it's what brought me to faith but the current American Western church is not where we need to be. And Say that. Where, Go ahead. You know, be plain. Yeah, <laughs> there is there is a shaking that we need. We yeah. are not yeah. living largely in biblical, wholehearted, devoted, zealous devotion to Christ and his kingdom. We got a lot of spiritual entertainment we got a lot of, we're happy in Babylon. Uh, we got a lot more of culture in the church than we have church and culture.
0: Come on, And
1: so there's a huge part of me that says shakings like this are absolutely necessary um, to awaken the remnant. Sometimes all it takes for the remnant to awaken is like that clarity to come, that that call to come, and then to shake off those, right? I mean... There was wise virgins and foolish virgins. They had oil. They didn't have oil. You know, we're coming to that kind of moment. Is there oil in your lamp? Are you are you on task? Are you on point? Are you listening? Are you engaging? And so I believe, uh, and again, it's beyond the scope of this, but I've been saying for years, what is emerging in the earth is what I call Jerusalem-centered Christianity. We are living very much in this iteration that, really goes back to a Greco-Roman mindset. It really traces back to Constantine, the Council of Nicaea, 324, the syncretism of all kinds of things. And God is shaking all this, and he's saying you are rooted in the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is how you get in. Paul, this is New Testament. Paul says you're the wild olive branch. You're grafted in. So you better get clear about that because if you're not, then you are in a system that is not, in my opinion, uh, going to endure. Um, you know, I preached on Sunday and I said, uh, I said, to present half of Jesus is to present a false Jesus. And so we we want the Jesus who's peaceful. We want the Jesus who's loving. We want the Jesus who's merciful. We want the Jesus who's forgiving. And I said on Sunday, when's the last time you saw an internet meme of John chapter? I think it's seven. Jesus takes a whip and goes into the temple and he's whipping and overturned. You know, we don't talk about that, Jesus. We don't talk about the Jesus who said, I haven't come to bring peace. I've come to bring right. a sword. I, I'm, I'm going to bring. It's going to be family member against family member. Right. So, yes, there is Jesus, the peaceful, the loving, the kind, the merciful. But there's also Jesus, the judge. There's also Jesus, the wild eyed guy with a whip in his hand. And so we have got to enter into the whole counsel of God. We, we have this concept that there's the God of the Old Testament who was a warrior, and, and then there's the God of the New Testament. No, he's the same yesterday, the today, same. and forever. Right. He is a God of peace, but he is also a man of war. He's a mighty man of war. And so we've got to embrace and understand the totality of who he is in this hour. You guys it's got just, me all riled up.
0: So, so good. And, you know, I also started a series on Sunday called watch the fig tree and really the when you look throughout biblical history and i think this is what I, i'm i'm really encouraging our church people and all people in is when you oppose the jewish people and and the land so israel being a land more than a political system but the land you are coming in complete opposition of god who has proven He will tear a whole nation down Egypt, ancient Egypt. He will throw it all down to keep this covenant. So there's a real fear of the Lord where it's like, don't mess with this. And then as a New Testament believer, as one who, you know, we have the Messiah, we have the revelation of Jesus as our Messiah. That builds my own faith to know if he will go to those lengths to keep his covenant with them, he'll do it for me. And so if you don't believe he'll do it for them, then how do you assure that he'll keep his covenant with you? They are totally tied together and we have to preach this. And that's why I love, I've heard you on multiple interviews recently, address replacement theology and why it's dangerous on multiple levels. Um, and not only is it dangerous uh, uh, towards anti-Semitism, but I believe its it undermines our own faith and many people they don't do it, but there's this whole and I know we don't have time for it today, but I would love to have you back to address all of these things because um it's hugely important for the church. And I don't think most believers or church leaders realize how important this is. I just I don't get the sense of that. So thank you so much, uh, Bishop Stearns for being here. We're so glad. Yeah, we we thank you for just bringing this kind of education to the body of Christ and to us today. And so, Jag, always
2: pleasure, bro. Always, thank you so much, um, sons. We um, it was really insightful, and I, I'm truly grateful that we were able to have you on to give this value to our listeners because there's a lot that that they can take from this and really soak on. And as Ty said, we would love to. Have you back hearing more, um, especially if your your schedule permits?
1: Well, it's an honor to be with you both. I, I applaud and honor your um, your leadership, and all those whose lives you touch. And um, yeah, we're we, you know Nehemiah when Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall, uh, he says we are widely spread out o- along the wall, but whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, gather together there, and God will fight for us. So. We're hearing the sound of the same trumpet. And um, yes, I I bless you guys. It's an honor to be with you today. And uh, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you.